Hey everybody, Patrick here. We've got something special for you this week as you're tuning in to hear of this movie. Those of you who visit the site regularly may have noticed that we recently sort of secretly premiered a brand new podcast. That's right, a second podcast coming from your friends here at fthismovie.com. I kind of did it in secret for a handful of reasons. It was just supposed to be sort of a test, a sneak preview of what was to come. Um, There were a lot of technical reasons why it premiered the way that it did. But those of you who aren't checking out the website every day at fthismovie.com, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, those of you who are just tuning in for the podcast, I wanted to make sure that everybody had a chance to hear How Do You Not Know, a brand new romantic comedy-themed podcast on our site from... F this movie's own Lexi Van Dyke and Mike Delaney, who you may know from the Splathouse podcast and the SOV podcast and his insane epic piece on safe men and the Avengers that ran on F this movie a few weeks ago. Mike is a friend of ours, a great guy, a great podcaster. And so I love the fact that he and Lexi are going to be talking about romantic comedies, a genre in which she is a true authority. So we're still working on some stuff behind the scenes in terms of getting this podcast up and running. The goal is that this will be a a separate show that you can subscribe to in iTunes. So it won't come through your regular F This Movie feed. You'll have to actually subscribe to both episodes. But for this week, we thought it would be fun to make sure that everybody heard it, that we put this into the rotation for F This Movie as just sort of a, a sample of what's to come. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. It's a really fun show and I hope that you subscribe and look forward to more podcasts from Lexi and Mike. And of course we will be back with our regular show next week. Take it away guys. How will I know? How do you know? Whitney, cue the pop. How do you know that this is our podcast? How do you not know how long this show will last? How do you know it's all in a dream? How do I want to know if you know about these things. Whitney. Welcome to this, the first edition of How Do You Not Know, Y'all? A podcast looking at rom-coms and delivering across... Uh, uh, the, 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 the dot coms, cause you know, you get this on the internet. I'm Mike D and joining me in the driver's seat. She's driving the car. Y'all is a person that needs very little introduction. She writes about crying for F this movie and <laughs> Ms. Lexi Miranda. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. You know, I don't I don't expect no no I'm no I'm doing well. I just don't expect the 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 person I ask like how they're doing. They never ask me how I am. They're they're always like I'm spectacular. I'm fantastic. I feel good. I feel bad. They never ask me how I'm doing. So bless your heart. I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and talk about this epic movie with you. The movie that has sparked controversy all over the internet. All right, look, hey, listen, let's uh, get right down to it. As you are already informed, today's episode highlights 2010's How Do You Know? There's no punctuation. We're here. You know, 
I might have to go back on what I said about finally seeing your place tonight. There's no pressure. It should feel right. Why are you moving away? I don't want to give you room to think and decide. Most girls' plan is meet a guy, love, have a baby. But I don't know if I have what it takes for everybody's regular plan. Son, I have some disturbing news. What? I'll wait till you get here. Tell me. Please, it would be nice to get one piece of bad news without someone studying my face to see how I'm taking it. They are going to indict you. George? How are you? Good to see you. Yeah. George, this is my boyfriend, Maddie. Nice to meet you. Who is he? You didn't even say hello. Yeah, I think you ought to check with me before you invite some guy over, so I'm a little too pissed off to just say hello. I think I screwed up. Not from my perspective. Taxi? No, I, I just have to figure out where I'm going. Let me ask you something. How do you know when you're in love? Anyone? I got a way. I figure I'm in love with somebody when I wear a condom with the other girls. Holy crap, I'm in love. What sort of trouble are you in, George? Currently unemployed. I'll soon run out of money, and I'm the target of a federal investigation. You're a real chick magnet, aren't you? <laughs> Son, we're in a rapidly evolving situation. Don't tell me. George. Are you going to make me literally run from bad news? You do not have the luxury of not... To people who make toasts. I just touched your leg. I know. And we're gonna be fine. With our hearts in our hands. Like loaded guns. Darn. I wrote something out that I want to say to you. I went nuts when you left. I broke a lamp. Okay, read me the thing. That was the thing. It's written and directed by the legendary rom-com champ, James L. My name is on every Simpsons ever, Brooks. Lex, how how do, did, how, how doid, how, how did you decide to pick this film for the first outing of a podcast, uh, I, you know, of, of its namesake? <laughs> I think it's kind of hard not to have this as a jumping off point. It was, it's just... It's kind of when rom-coms reach critical mass as a popular genre and kind of failed and tumbled after it. Um, so I think, and also the title is very is very ripe for satire with its non-question mark. <laughs> yeah, we've we've talked about that before. Yeah, the, the how do you know? No, no punctuation mark. We'll we'll get to that a little bit later. But let's get down to it. Here are the stats. Let's let's jump in, both you and I. It's it's free form. You know, this is the time at the public pool where we could jump in at any time. Like it, we're gonna splash. Lex, do you like to splash? Love to splash. 
Love Splash with Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah also. Direct, directed by Ron Howard, I'm yes. going to splash the shit out of you. <laughs> it's not funny, Freddy. It's not funny. All right, I'm going to splash you with some chlorinated fucking public pool water, okay? All right. And, and now that I said the... Now that I said the F word, we've really opened this up. We can we can say whatever we want. <laughs> True. No holds bar. Is there is there a word that you want to say that we haven't said yet? Uh butthole. <laughs> Alright. So let's get down to the cast and crew. Who's in this movie, Lex? It has uh Reese Witherspoon, Jack Nicholson, Paul Rudd, Owen Wilson. Catherine Hahn is in there, and then also some, like, Molly Price, who's, like, well-known for being, like, a character actress in so many things. It's kind of insane. Directed by James L. Brooks, who we said before, uh, from the Academy Award-winning Terms of Endearment, the Academy Award-winning As Good As It Gets, the critically acclaimed Broadcast News, and the much-maligned, I know you're a fan, of uh, the mid-aughts Spanglish. Definitely a huge fan. It, we will be talking about that one day, for sure. Oh, we'll talk about Taya Leone one day. I don't <laughs> oh, know if we're yeah. going to talk about Spanglish. Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> All right. So thank you, Lexicon6500. All right. Let's drill down what we need to answer today. Here are the top three things that uh, that, that that our esteemed listeners... They they wrote in Lex. They don't they don't know our Twitter handle. They don't know our email. We 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 don't have a website, but they wrote in and they told us the top 3 things they want to know. So we need to answer this today. Are you are you ready for that? All right. You're you're good. I'm ready for the challenge. You're good for that. Yes. All right. Yes. Challenge accepted. How does this How do you know? Stack up with other James L. Brooke films. Is this film a conspiracy to get Jack Nicholson set for life and the afterlife? <laughs> and the third thing is, Hans Zimmer, he be doing too much? <laughs> All valid questions. All right, Lex, let's jump into it. Hopefully we answer those three things for our respectable listeners. Lex, how do you know if, how do you know is... A respectable rom-com. Like, what's all going on here? Well, I think the interesting thing about it is it tries so hard to feed into those rom-com tropes. And just, it the tone and the acting is so off that it doesn't quite work. It definitely feels like someone, a man in his 70s, like, writing a rom-com for women in their 20s to 30s. And just failing. <laughs> It it definitely was written by a man in his seventies <laughs> for for a uh, uh, a much beloved Hollywood uh, actor in his seventies, right? Mm -hmm. the, but I think that's the thing with James L. Brooks. We'll get we'll get to the story here in a second. But I think the the big picture is James L. Brooks historically. When I look at his movies, at least my my opinion, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my opinion is that he writes really well for middle-aged uh, to older men. And that goes for, uh, that goes for, uh, well, not for this goddamn movie, but it goes well for the Adam Sandler movie, Spanglish. That goes well for, of course, As Good As It Gets, which got Jack Nicholson an Academy Award. It, it goes with uh, uh, Broadcast News with William Hurt, and but especially Albert Brooks, who lost the goddamn Academy Award that year to, to 
fucking Sean Connery. That's a that's a shame. When you go back and you look at the Academy Awards, like the big s- snubs, it's a uh, it's Albert Brooks losing to Sean Connery. What what did Sean Connery say in The Untouchables that got him the Academy Award? Like, you're mucking with the wrong G, pal. Mucking with a G here, pal. You're gonna hang high on him, and unless you cooperate. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie. Don't worry. I'll hear about it in my mentions soon enough. So I'll have to watch it. It's a much beloved romantic comedy. So I'm sure (laughs) we will cover it on the show. Directed directed by rom-com superstar Brian D.E. Palma. Do you know who Brian D.E. Palma is? I have heard the name. Yeah, he's he's a huge rom-com guy. But then also we have... uh, of course, Terms of Endearment, right? With uh, yes, Jack Nicholson winning. Great movie. A fantastic movie. And, of course, one of the, the first uh, – well, the second Academy Award that Jack got. But uh, the first of two that he got from James L. Brooks. Yeah. Well, I would say that James L. Brooks knows how to write for Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson surrogates. I don't know if he knows how to write for middle-aged men, per se. Like – Jack Nicholson, any character, spot on. But anyone else, I'm not quite sure about. I'm I'm just saying my my own personal opinion is like the 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 star from Broadcast News comes out to be Albert Brooks, who goes on to get nominated. Or the the star of uh, Spanglish is Adam Sandler, who goes on to you know <laughs> Spanglish becomes the footnote to Punch Drunk Love. For, like, things that Sandler can do that aren't, like, Abby Doobie sounds, you know? I agree that his strength is writing for, for Jack Nicholson. But Jack Nicholson in this movie, and if you could tell us a bit about uh, the, the story itself, Jack Nicholson in this movie is, like, a, more more so than other movies, he's a total fucking creep. Like, there's nothing redeeming about him. Well, I think Jack Nicholson has just kind of aged into his creepiness now at his age, it just is not endearing anymore. Lex, walk us through the the basic premise of How Do You Know? Whew, well, the premise is really simple, yet really weird when you watch it on screen. Like, the basic premise is the main character, Lisa, played by Reese Witherspoon, is trying to find out the next step in her life after her forced retirement from being a professional softball player, which is just an odd choice for a career. But I guess he's trying to pick a career where someone would age out rather young so that he could have someone like Reese Witherspoon play the character. Um, and then she stumbles upon these two love interests and one is played by Owen Wilson Uh, And the other is played by Paul Rudd. And Owen Wilson is another baseball player who is kind of aloof and, you know, not monogamous and kind of sleeps with other people but leaves her hanging on. And then Paul Rudd is like this very stable individual but is being framed for these weird legal crimes by his dad, played by Jack Nicholson. It's very odd. <laughs> it's a very it's a very odd premise, like, saying it out loud and watching it. it I just don't understand how he came up with this idea. Like, I, I understand how he came up with the idea. I don't understand how he came up with all the different parts. He was like, oh, I guess, you know, Paul Rudd is going to play a person who is being framed by his dad, like, played, played by Jack Nicholson. I don't know. I guess he just really won Jack Nicholson in it. I don't. I, it's really weird. 
What well, what's uh, interesting to me is when I found out that Jack Nicholson wasn't uh, the the choice for that role. Oh, really? Bill Murray. Oh, well, I could see Bill Murray being Paul Rudd's dad more than Jack Nicholson. Like that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you a hundred percent. When it when it comes to this movie. As as a viewer who's not like well versed in financial law, <laughs> you're watching it and you're like, "Wait, how is how is Paul Rudd's character guilty of these fucking heinous financial crime?" And you're like, "I guess there's a loophole, but why is he so fucking loyal to his dad?" And then you're like, "Well, I guess he's Paul Rudd and he's like really sweet." And then you're like, "I guess he's Jack Nicholson, and he's kind of charming and like." And they have Catherine Hahn in like this weird side character where she plays the secretary who's pregnant, and like the only reason she's pregnant is because she had sex with a penis. Is for Lisa to see a baby and like automatically be like, "Okay, I saw a baby. Now my maternal instinct is there." It's just very, it's very weird. Hello. Hi, boss. Hi. How are you doing? It's not too late. No. I'm fine. That's fine. Hold on. Hold on just a second. Okay. Hey. Thanks so much for calling. Oh, I can't sleep. I don't know what got into me this morning. I have never taken a swat at anybody. Well, I do know. I'm pregnant. You're pregnant. You're pregnant. Yeah. Secrets out. <laughs> yeah no she got she got a case of the liz lemons there <laughs> it's very like okay so the whole point of terms in, of endearment is like this mother-daughter relationship and the deborah winger character is very focused like the being a mom is her career and all that kind of stuff and he's like trying to bring that into this new age where it doesn't really work in the way he's thinking about it working it he, it, it doesn't just doesn't it just doesn't fit that modern mold in such a exact way lex yes have, have, have you ever watched a uh, professional softball on television <laughs> i actually have my whole family's obsessed with baseball and softball so i actually have watched it before are are most of the the professional players under the age of 31 uh, i would guess that they were probably around that age i would assume probably well most professional athletes their career is done by the time they're 35 well here's the thing is they say like how fucking good she is at softball and they say like how great her game is and how amazing she is and we never see her play softball and yet well that's the whole thing it's like you know playing a piano but zooming in on the hands and not actually seeing the person play piano like every he just wants you to like be like okay she's a professional softball player who's won olympic gold medals like that's they have like a little montage at the beginning about her like from a child being really great at softball and apparently some other kid is very jealous of her ability some other little boy i guess i should say because this is all about gender dynamics let's not forget <laughs> i want to go on record as saying i like how do you know i like the scene where reese witherspoon is brushing her teeth and crying and i feel like that every fucking day i feel like it every day <laughs> i feel like that every day well, that's my that current that's mood all scene. the time always i'm brushing my teeth and i'm crying <laughs> well, I feel like her scenes with her and her scenes with Paul Rudd are the best parts of the movie. Sit here, sit down. I, uh, got you a gift. Thanks. 
Thanks for not rushing me. Yeah. This is only uh, half the gift. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't work without the story. Okay. Th this stuff was invented by this man in central Ohio as uh, white goo. And he used it to um, remove soot off of wallpaper from old-fashioned heating. Mm -hmm. So as gas and electric heating came in, there was uh, no longer a need for the, for the cleaning goo. Um... So, you know, the guy was going under, but his uh, sister-in-law, who was a nursery school teacher... Now, is this a true story? The man's name was Joe McVicker. His sister-in-law was Kay Zufall. Okay, I believe you. So Kay Zufall discovered that her little kids liked squeezing the goo a lot more than hard modeling clay. So she suggested to her brother-in-law, Joe, that they color this stuff and call it Play-Doh. Hey. Nice. So, I have kept this for a long time as proof that we're all just one small adjustment away from making our lives work. Asked me what it is, I could never tell that story as well as you do. Like, those scenes work the best. Like, I think you could have totally cut out Owen Wilson's character. Also, this movie is two hours long, which is way too long. Like, way, 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 way too long. You could have had Owen Wilson's character at the very beginning as, like, someone she's, like, decided to walk away from because she wanted something else with her life. But I don't understand why he's there through the entire movie up until the very end when she decides to go for Paul Rudd. It, it just... It's just so much space being taken up by this, like, faux relationship she has with Owen Wilson because they both never lived with other people or had real relationships because the base baseball and softball has been their whole lives. It's just like a very, it's a, it's very much a lot of hot air happening. Lexi. Yes. This movie cost $100 million to make. Yes, it did. The fuck? <laughs> when you told me that fact, I was honestly like flabbergasted. I had no idea what to say. How, 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 I don't understand what they did with all that money. The film is basically takes place in like an office building and two apartments and a couple of street scenes. And there's no big stunts, nothing crazy, no like musical rights that I can think of. So I literally have to, it has to all go to the cast. Like that's, that's where 90% of the film, the 
cost went to. Right. And at that time, like, well, Reese Witherspoon, of course, had the, the Best Actress Academy Award from Walk the Line. She yes. had that uh, half a decade prior. Uh, Paul Rudd, come on, man. Like, Paul Rudd's still, like, the cute guy from fucking Wet Hot American Summer that puts the middle finger up. And Was this know. around the same time as Forgetting Sarah Marshall? I can't remember. No, it totally is. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, the next year as uh, I Love You, Man. Yes. Yeah, there's, like, Role Models, I Love You, Man. And then this. And then forgetting Sarah Marshall's, like, around the same time. So, he, yeah, he was, like, so he was, like, the pre-Adam Scott before Adam Scott got, got in Parks and Rec. He is that uh, archetype of the very sweet, very charming kind of goofball. And so he kind of created that along, uh, around that time. And so he was extremely hot commodity. And Owen Wilson and him, I guess... Um, they, had they worked together in anything before? I don't think so. No, I don't, I don't believe so. But this is, of course, the third film for Reese Witherspoon and Paul Rudd. That's true. Following, uh, <laughs> what, what was the movie they did in the late 90s that, uh, uh, Kevin Smith rewrote and they both hated it and they talked shit about it in the outtakes? What, what the fuck is that one? I don't know. Do, do you know that story? No. Oh, they were they were in a romantic comedy together. We should cover it on the show. They, <laughs> I'm they were in a romantic to it. comedy together. Meet Wyatt Trips. He was sure he'd found the right woman. And when we do finally have sex, it's not going to be in a Volvo. But a little misunderstanding. My girlfriend's cheating on me with a guy called the Ricker. And some help from a friend. She broke my heart. So break her ego. Have created a big problem. An overnight delivery service, delivery by 10 a.m. the next day. Is this a great country or what? He's just sent his girlfriend the wrong package. Stop! Wait! I bear some degree of responsibility here. Some degree. And he's got 24 hours to get it back. I'll give you $200 if you drive me to St. Louis. Make it $400 for mental anguish and maybe I'll do it. Now they're on a cross-country demolition mission. That takes them too far. God is my witness, you will not stop this package! Too fast. Please God, I swear I'll never send anything overnight delivery again. leaves them in the one place they never expected to be. Our relationship is over. Look at me. I'm dressed like a girl. Overnight delivery. And they they did this scene where they're walking off into the sunset or some shit, and they, they give their dialogue, and then one of them says to the other, you know, under their breath, they go, who the fuck wrote this shit? And then the other one says, uh, Kevin Smith wrote this. And then, like, Paul Rudd or whomever is like, man, fuck Kevin Smith. Or, like, whatever. But That's crazy. But, yeah, but but they did that. They did uh, uh, Monsters versus Aliens, where they, again, played a romantic couple. And then, uh, you know, here we are, completing the trilogy. It, it was Roger Ebert who wrote, uh, shortly before his death, you know, about this movie. He, he wrote that, the as, as much as he liked Owen Wilson... The, the purpose of him being in the movie was to give Reese Witherspoon a chance uh, in 
her performance to slam the door and pack shit up and storm out. Like, <laughs> even even he was like, I like this, but like... Well, yeah, exactly, but he doesn't... But he didn't need to be in, like, 70% of the movie to do that. She could have done that in the first 20 minutes. No, for sure. And then continued on with Paul Rudd. Have you seen the movie yeah. where Owen Wilson... Well, to to what you said, he he meets people in the bar, and he's charming. Have you seen the movie called Minus Man? I've never done anything violent to anybody. Just the minimum that was necessary. So what brings you down this way? My dad was sick, and I was taking care of him mostly. After he passed on, I didn't have any reason to stay any longer. I never make a plan. just happens. Are you in a good mood? Yeah, I'm happy. Everybody's, though, happy on Saturday. What can only be described as a bizarre incident? Police are now treating the case as a homicide. You don't always choose what you do. Irene. Sometimes what you do chooses you. Toxology tests have determined the source of the poison. No fear, no pain. They just go to sleep. I'm not surprised this country has so much violence. Surprised it has so little. Artisan Home Entertainment invites you to see the world through the eyes of a killer. You recall what you were doing on the 18th? I remember exactly what I was doing. That was my day off and I spent the day at home. From the producers of Sling Blade and the writer of Blade Runner. This is the guy that think poison all those people. Sort of looks like me, doesn't it? Film critics are calling The Minus Man a potent thriller. Chilling and intriguing. I thought. You thought what? What you do? Trance-like, seductive. Owen Wilson, Janine Garofalo, Brian Cox, Mercedes Rule, acclaimed singer-songwriter Dwight Yoakam, Dennis Haysburg. The Minus Man. You guys have any leads? Oh, we think so. But then, uh, we always think so. No. Oh, my God. So, Owen Wilson, look, I'm not going to give it away because it's super romantic. And, look, it gives me a tingler. That's what I call it. I call it a tingler. <laughs> it gives me a tingler just thinking about it. Owen Wilson, charming as fuck, meeting people in the bar. He gives them a, a little amaretto. But, you know, the amaretto's spiked, you know. So, uh, well, it's spiked with, let's call it a, it's spiked with a shot of Kevorkian. If you get my drift. Oh, God. But Owen Wilson mates people in the bar. We'll call these people Cheryl Crow. He meets Cheryl Crow in the bar. Gives him a shot of the uh, the Amaretto a la Kevorkian. Anyway, you should, you, you should see The Minus Man. It's really good. All right. I'll put it on my list. I have to think that because this movie cost $100 million that a majority of it went to Jack Nicholson. I was going to say cocaine, but sure. All right. Well, no one's very energized in the film, so why would it go to cocaine? <laughs> That's true. I mean, unless he has that kind of habit. But you brought us to our second talking point, which is this movie is a conspiracy theory to keep Jack Nicholson well off into retirement. So it cost $100 million. Yeah, I think the whole, Where did it go? I, I think it all went into like a hedge fund for Jack Nicholson to retire and stay in sunglasses and 
go to Lakers games for the rest of his life. Co-signed. I, I look. I don't know how the fuck this money was spent unless they did like ridiculous numbers of months on reshoots. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if they like. That is possibly the only way. It, but even, even so, to look at perhaps a filmmaker like Woody Allen, who I can no longer really talk about because I think he's such a horrible human being, but his films are very similar to this one and they cost like what, $12 million to make. And he sets aside like 20% of his budget just for reshoots. Yeah. And he uses the same fucking people. He uses Owen Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As a star. A hundred million. Like, that sounds like some Dr. Evil shit. You're like, I want to make a movie about a retired, uh, semi-retired, a forced out of retirement, like, a female uh, softball player. And she meets a guy who's getting framed by his dad. And it's going to (laughs) cost a hundred million dollars to make. Well, to be honest, if I was to talk to James L. Brooks about any film, it would be this one. If I had... like 10 minutes alone in a room with him to talk to him about any of his movies it would be this one because i understand terms of endearment i understand spanglish i understand as good as it gets but this one i do not understand how this came to fruition there is something accurate about life that's that also happens to be a wildly romantic notion but the fact that it's so accurate takes all this sentiment out of it and makes it real i think and that thing is that no matter how hard things are for you in your life, if the right person walks in the door, uh, that changes. The problem doesn't go away. The problem moves over here. Your spirit rises, and you're better able to handle your life, and life has become a better deal. That's a very romantic thought, but there's nobody who will disagree with it, with the accuracy of it. I think that's what the picture's about. Lisa is somebody who, from age three, realized she had a talent, and that talent was an athletic talent. It was being able to hit a large ball with a wooden stick. And there's a place for that. And she spent the rest of her life doing it. That means for people who are this skilled, for people who have this kind of talent, and who people who have the personality to drive themselves like this character does, uh, it means that, you're, that, that Saturdays are about driving 200 miles and then 200 miles back to play in a game. It means going away from your family for a time to train with the right coach. It means not being able to play for your high school because you're on a team that's much better than any high school team that plays in the region. It means you get a scholarship to college where this is your full-time job, and you tend to date only athletes because only athletes can possibly understand what your schedule is between going to school and playing ball. It means that is your life and your passion. In her case, it means you went to the Olympics. It means you were a key person in doing that. It means you were made captain of your team because you have ability to not drive not only yourself but to drive everybody around you and, as somebody says, make every other player better because of the kind of player you are. And then in one second, all that's pulled away from you and you are dumped in the real world. That's her story. His story is that he's, he had a very colorful father. His mother walked out on them after she saw Kramer versus Kramer one day. Father raised him, Father Jack Nicholson, exotic, larger than life. What, whatever that is, he, he was stolid. In other words, instead of, you know, when you have a father like that, you tend to go the other way. You tend to get a little locked in. You tend to have good manners. You tend to want to treat people decently. And he's almost a throwback in his decency with that colorful father. Uh, goes to business school, does well, comes out, invariably picks the wrong women, but p- picks, picks 
quite beautiful women who want low-maintenance guys <laughs> to, to pass through. He is the lowest-maintenance guy in the world. That, that does happen. I do find myself laughing. I do get on the soundtrack laughing where it's a problem for the film. But what you just described is antithetical to the inner life that I experience when I'm on the set. <laughs> He's a self-justifying machine. I mean, everything that's wrong is the government's fault. Nothing he does, nothing he does is wrong. The problem is foreign competition. The problem is anything but the fact that he's, you know, that there's some kind of ethical draino that he's that, that he's spilled down his system. So there's basically like little vignettes where it could have been like those little talking heads from like when Mary and Harry met Sally, or they're, they're talking to their friends and they say, "How do you know when it's real love?" Well, I don't understand that question. You either know or you don't know. <laughs> No, for yeah. Like you shouldn't have to talk to your friends about it in like a in the bullpit and he says, "Oh, I know because it's when I wear a condom with the other girls." That's just gross. That's just disgusting. And it makes me sad for the male species slightly. <laughs> Speaking of the bullpen, look, hey, listen, I was on IMDb. Have you been on IMDb? Have you heard about IMDb? No, tell me more. It's a it's a website where movie actors have have their resumes posted online and we can we can look at them. We could essentially look at resumes of of people who work in movies. Does that sound interesting to you? Slightly. Cool. Well, uh, a pitching coach who's from the US Olympic team and he was actually on screen as Reese Witherspoon's coach in in the movie. What do you think about that? Like how cool is that? That, like, why? I don't know. I don't why? look. They show literally no softball. Like maybe they a show. They show fucking nothing. It doesn't make any sense. Like who gives a shit, right? Yeah. Why you? make her a softball player? Why not just make her a journalist like every other rom com? Right. No. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like you're you're too old to ask the five W's. <laughs> like lean, like lean in to your like sexism. Like d j just do it. Don't don't be like we need to find a way out of being sexist. Like no, just lean like towards it. Nurse, nurse. Yes, Doctor Scratch and Sniff. Get these kids out of here. Hello, nurse. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> kind of I think the whole arc of her character is like this very tough woman softening for a man because a man is able to break through her exterior I get it I guess but it's also in this day and age with everything happening it it feels very much like a boneheaded way to go about writing a woman most of the time, these characters, uh, quote unquote, talk to each other. They're not talking to each other. They're processing things that they might believe, like, internally. Oh, totally. Their their entire dialogue is them processing things at each other. It might as well be just two computers talking at each other and repeating the same dialogue. It's very odd because... You can feel you can feel in the dialogue that James L. Brooks is trying to give weight to these words when they just come out completely limp. George? Are you George? I'm Lisa. Very good of you to join me. Yeah. 
How you doing? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm great. Yeah? Yep. Well, treasure it. You okay? No. I'm sorry. I'm not even aware that... I have to apologize. This might not be the best first impression. I, um... I had a... an unusual 24 hours. Okay. Well, the bad days make the good ones better. So don't worry about it. Is this an Italian restaurant? Yes, it is. It's a very good one. Oh, yeah, it looks good. Let's get a drink. Excuse me. None for me. You know what? You're right. I, yeah. I, I should drink. Don't let me stop you. No, 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 no. Believe me, drinking too much two nights in a row could be a real mistake. Well, I haven't had anything since lunch yesterday, so I'm starving. You don't drink at all? I follow my father's rule on drinking. Which is? Never drink to feel better. Only drink to feel even better. That's fantastic. Yep, it's a good one. That's great. But, you know, sometimes I think that one drink can uh, give you a little better perspective. Well, not for me, but I guess it depends on the person. Look, if you want to have a drink, you should just have a drink. But keeping talking about it, you know, well, just I'm make a decision. looking for and permission then be... to drink. If I want a drink, I'll order a drink. Do you know I don't know you? I'm sorry. I, I'm not good today. Uh, g- give us some dialogue from How Do You Know. So this is something that Lisa says. She says, I don't know if I have what it takes for everybody's regular plan. Okay. <laughs> Saying regular plan is also didactic because regular and plan are kind of synonyms. So, and at this point, we've kind of, we are moving past these. Like, we are, we are not in this idea anymore. Well, in certain mindsets, we're still progressing and there are still people who think differently, but we're not in this same idea anymore that like, as soon as you hit 30, you have to be married and have two kids. Like, that's not where everybody's at anymore. And then this is something else. Did you ever wish you could delete everything you said as soon as you said it? Lately, all I do is hear myself being so weak and whiny and needy that I wish I could delete everything. George, I think the answer is to stop talking. Deny a voice to what's falling apart. No lip service. That's my advice to you. Saying the word delete seems like someone who has very limited access to technology and they just see the word delete (laughs) delete on their phone and they're like, delete, 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 delete what I said. It's just like the dialogue in this movie is just so rough. It's just not even, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk like this in real life. Have you? No, no, no. I don't know. Like, but no one, no one fucking, no, no one talks like this. But I don't think that's, like, the big fault, because no one really talks like anybody in movies when you really think about it. But it's, like, tricking people into thinking that people talk that way, right? Well, it's true. It's just not very good at tricking people into thinking they talk this way. It's very, it's very pedantic. Like, this is not, it's like when someone's trying to come up with a great metaphor or, you analysis of something and they go like all the way around and back to come with them up with the metaphor that's what this is doing with the script they're they're just reaching so hard 
And then we give passes, you know? Of course, we give passes to, like, Quentin Tarantino's, right? Or or David Mamet's. No, people don't talk like that, but it sounds nice. It sounds correct in our heads. Like, the dots are connecting. But in this film, like, it, they don't connect. Like, to bring up Terms of Endearment as a great counterexample of what this movie is trying to do... Terms of Endearment, and also maybe it's because he's working from a book, so perhaps he's taking some of the dialogue from a book that, you know, was already created and these words were already written. But, like, the dialogue in that film feels very natural and, like, this is who these people, these characters are, and they actually sound like this every day. Like, if you walked in that house on any other day, they'd be sound the exact same way. Excuse me. It is after 10. Give my daughter the pain shot, please. Mrs. Greenway, I was going to. Oh, good. Go ahead. In just a few minutes. Well, please, it's, it's after 10. It's after 10. I don't see why she has to have this pain. Ma'am, it's not my patient. It's time for her shot. You understand? Do something. All she has to do is hold on until 10. And it's past 10. She's in pain. My daughter is in pain. Give her the shot. You understand? I'm going to behave. Give these characters feel like they are not lived in. They feel like complete cutouts of what James L. Brooks is trying to do with this movie. Do you like this movie compared to his other films? Or what? what is, what is your rate? Let's, let's rank things because that's all anyone ever needs to do. The, the internet loves ranking things. They go, how do you rank this? This new, this, this new film's coming out from this new filmmaker. How do you rank it? How do you rank it? We love ranking them. Let's rank them. Rank them. I, I am a fan of all of James L. Brooks. Cop out. Films. No, it's not a cop out. My favorite Lex <laughs> is Broadcast News. I haven't seen Broadcast News. My second favorite movie from James L. Brooks is, of course, Terms of Endearment. You, you like Terms of Endearment, I think, right? I do like it. I think it's very hard for me to watch because I do not like Deborah Winger in it. My third favorite, of course, is, uh, you know, this this might be controversial and it, it might catch you off guard. But my third favorite is Spanglish. Creator of Terms of Endearment and Broadcast News comes a comedy that breaks all the rules. <laughs> Nick Nolte. I'm actually afraid of my own kid. Albert Brooks. Julie Kavner. Jolie Richardson. Tracy Ullman. And introducing Whitney Wright. She's lucky to have a daddy who cares. I'll do anything. No, no, I haven't seen. I, I literally have not seen that, and I will find an interesting way to edit this. I didn't even know that movie existed, so I haven't seen it either. So it's it's okay. We'll get there together one day. It's not a rom com, but maybe we'll watch it one day as a bonus or something. All right. So my rankings of James L. Brooks films. <laughs> I would have to say that I think Spanglish is number one. I haven't seen broadcast news. I think I maybe saw it when I was really young, but it's been way too long. I don't remember it. So I would say Spanglish is number one, then Terms of Endearment, then As Good As It Gets, and then How Do You Know? 
So that's my ranking. We got one more final talking point before we uh, we find a way out of here. There's no way out of this conversation for sure. No, it's like a it's so cyclical. But there's at least one more talking point. In 2010, Hans Zimmer scored like fucking a dozen movies, literally a dozen movies. One of them was How Do You Know? He he did uh, he did Inception. He did Rango. He did the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, like kind of the comeback picture for uh, that franchise. He did, oh yeah, uh, my daughter's did, obsessed did with I that movie. Mega Mind. Hans Zimmer is like at this day, he's he's a legend of uh, Hollywood composition. How does how do you know how do you know that Hans Zimmer is is an important composer based on his work in this movie? Go. Well, you don't, because it's not existent. Who have very wise things to say, like, you know, always execute plan B, mm-hmm. plan B flawlessly, <laughs> you know, which, which really is what it comes down to at the end of the day. Because, because it's not just you have an idea and you sort of ram it through the movie. I mean, you have to, you know, the, the, the movie itself is some living, breathing thing that you discover. I mean, I'm saying that for myself. I, I don't know if you disagree, but I mean... You shoot the movie, and you come back, and and then it's even though you know all the parts, it still totally has a mind of its own. And it, I don't it's think so it's ever been easy. Has, have we ever had an easy one? I don't think we. I, I don't think we ever had an easy one. And, and I don't think it's supposed to be easy. Who says it's well, supposed I to be th- easy? It'd be nice. <laughs> well, yeah, no, we have conversations that go on over years where you know. Somehow into the conversation, I somehow managed to slip, hey, Jim, you're writing anything. <laughs> and then I get a sort of a maybe back from him. You know, and then you let a little time go by and you go, so how's the writing going? You know, and then you, you, you get more information. But I never, I, I, nev- I never try to do that dastardly and gauche thing where I actually ask him what he's writing about. <laughs> I, you know, when you're ready to talk about it, you're ready to talk about it, but but I just want you to know that somebody else is already thinking about something. Partly the the job you always has ever have as a composer is you're supposed to be a little bit ahead of everybody else. So what happens is you play you play a room full of people a piece of music and and the problem is they're not getting it. And music is not something you can't sell a piece of. Like, I can't talk you into liking this. <laughs> Please love this. No, no. I, I, I know it's good. You should. How could I did a scene once it? where two composers were selling a piece of music. Right, yeah. Well, yeah. Right, but you can't do it. You, I, you know, it either resonates with you or not. And you know, so 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 much of it is timing, and so much in our movies is about. You know, sometimes executives don't get it. But you, but you can't you you can't stand up for your own piece of music. The only way you can is you go and put it in the movie and you put it in front of an audience and you you know they either react or they don't react and 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 that's the only true test you have. Uh, you know I, I think one of the ways we work, which is you know I like working like this. I, I work a lot like this. But other directors and I think other composers composers don't really work like this. You know, when we go and do a preview, 
we have the we have a lot of the music in it, you know, and we and we try it out. And we, I, I remember, on as good as it gets, trying to see what we could get away with, how far we. Okay, are we overstepping the emotion at at the expense of comedy and vice versa? A witty score about a mental illness, right? <laughs> yes, you know, some, something I get to do every day. No, but and again, I mean, this is where you where you come back to the writer director thing, which is so important. Because when you're talking about these things with the writer-director, you're talking to the right guy. And there isn't going to be that, you know, hang on, I have to go and ask the writer who might not even be there, you know, what this means. Because you're a writer. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so, 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 so that it, 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 it makes for a more comfortable, you know, situation ultimately. I guess what we're trying to describe is that, is that, is that, what is traditionally thought of as a separate process in movie making is not a separate process right, with this guy. You know, so so that as change happens, he's there before it happens, after it happens. So it's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, literally at one point I was thinking about the ending that Jim was going to shoot, and because we had so little time, I was thinking, could somebody storyboard it for us? And I'll just write the storyboards. <laughs> the change that was very important to me in this movie. Uh, was that we ended, you know, I, I was sort of, there, there, there's one of the biggest laughs in the movie is like 17 seconds before the end. So I thought that's pretty good. You wrap up a movie with a big laugh 17 seconds before the end. And it just wasn't working. And I had strayed in all the things that happen to you when you're doing this to a very funny song, this Teddy Pendergast song that I was going to bring in before credits as sort of a final joke, which I now look at and never did at the time, but this is how much you can change. I now look at it as sort of insulting to the purpose of the movie. I, but I, at the time, I thought it was like the greatest idea I ever had to bring back the song <laughs> there. But that's, that's how profound these changes are. And then what we finally came back to was that, to, you know, the ending of this movie is two people who found each other. And then I, you know, and, and luckily have a laugh at the last moment, which was a big deal to me. And that's, you know, that's how much a moment can change. And this moment was the ending of the picture. You know, there are many love stories, and, and it's how you present them. And, and that's really what we were struggling with, is, you know, how could we present it in our way, and, you know, singularly our way, and, and never betray the movie. I remember us, you coming over for some New Year's Eve party or Christmas party over at our house, and me, the, the, the electricity went out the way it does in Los Angeles. And me, me now being the entertainment, sitting at the piano, playing the piano, and my dog coming over and sort of laying his wow. head down. And the next thing I know, I'm looking at uh, as good as it gets, and there's Jack playing the piano, and the dog's coming over. I'm going, <laughs> I think I know how to write that scene. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's no end to the services before no. here. <laughs> like, if you hadn't told me, or if IMDb hadn't told me that he had worked on this movie, I would not know. Like, how do you know that Hans Zimmer is working on this movie? You don't. How do you not know? <laughs> How do you not know that Hans Zimmer is working on this movie? You don't, because it the score is non-existent. Like, you could have had anything going on in the background, honestly. Um, so, so if you go on Netflix right now, you can watch Hans Zimmer live in Prague. I recommend it. I, I think it's a great uh, program. The opening number is him doing a live full orchestral version of the theme from driving miss daisy but like listening to uh, a full orchestral version of driving miss daisy i was like that's right but there's nothing else i like about it in a lot of films sometimes there are certain parts of the film that stick out 
and for Hans Zimmer, sometimes he's able to enhance a movie, and sometimes the movies are able to gel along with the score, and sometimes the movie, and sometimes the scores go beyond the film itself, and how do you know is none of those things. <laughs> we'll wrap up how do you know in just a second, but like, alright, so so what are the movies, what, what do I have to look forward to? What do you want to do next uh, next week, next time? We do the show. I think we. I, I think we should leave it up to our friends. I think we should post a poll for every mo- every week and just let people decide, and we'll watch it. Yeah, we'll just, just we'll we'll pick two movies and we'll have people poll it out. So we're gonna post a poll about our what our next film is gonna be, and about we're gonna post that in about two weeks. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for talking about how do you know on how do you not know. Yeah, why do they not have a question mark at the end? I think this is the ultimate question that we're not talking about. Like, why is there no question mark at the end of this movie? Right, I looked up that for like a minute and it it yielded a result saying like, there's no question mark because it's it's like a bad omen or it's like a bad thing to have a question mark in your movie title. But I'm like, oh, oh brother, we're out thou? Or like, what's the worst can happen or like there's so many number of movies that have a fucking question mark that aren't whatever but uh yeah it's because it, it the the phrasing of the words are inherently a question so why not just add a question mark or change the title well what would you have called it like the title could have been anything in my fucking book like it could have been anything uh if we're sticking to a softball theme maybe like fast pitch or uh Catch and release is already a film. <laughs> that's another movie we're definitely going to cover. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's with already Kevin a film Smith. with Kevin Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Such a weird um, movie. What about, what about Curveball? Curveball? There you go. Curveball. Miss the Curveball. God bless y'all for uh, for listening to us here today. Yeah, no, hey, look, listen. If you uh, like the show and... Again, bless you all if you did. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at H-D-Y-N-K. How, How do, do you, you not, not know? know? Follow us. That's where you will find the poll for next week. And hey, in two weeks, every two weeks, man, we're coming out. So uh, help us pick what we are going to do next. And how do you not know? How do you not know what we're going to do next? Lex, how do you not know what we're going to do next? I don't know. I'm just flying by the seat of my pants here. Me too. All right. So (laughs) for (laughs) Ms. Miranda, for... Look, hey, listen, I am Mr. Mike D. This is the How Do You Not Know podcast saying should we do our our information we, we have information yeah like our handles do it do stuff. it i'm at lexi underscore miranda l-e-x-y underscore m-y-r-a-n-d-a on twitter and mike where can they find you mike d underscore splat and that's that's it i don't know and how do you not know how do you know how do you know how do you know figure it out